Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Samuel um, chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. And we're going to skip to chapter 23, also verses 1 through 5. And uh, where we uh, left off last week, um, David was on the run. And, uh, and it was just him and a few of his close companions um, and they went to a place called Nob, and they ran into some trouble there. Um, but uh, we pick up with David, and he's been on the run for a while uh, from King Saul. And um, that group of, uh, that small group of companions uh, has begin, begun to grow. Um, uh, David becomes sort of a larger-than-life Robin Hood figure. He's sort of uh, helping out uh, the poor and dispossessed people in the area. And because of that, people are flocking to him and, uh, and wanting to join um, his group. And so that's where we pick up with him at the beginning of chapter 22. First Samuel 22, 1 through 5, and then 23, 1 through 5. Hear now the word of our Lord. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah and Moab, and said to the king of Moab, Will you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn what God will do for me? So he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him as long as David was in the stronghold. But the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Go into the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Tila and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go and attack the Philistines and save Tila. But David's men said to him, here in Judah we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Tila against the Philistine forces? Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Keilah, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Keilah, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Keilah. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. Most of you know by now that um, I am a, a PK, a uh, pastor's kid. Um, as, a, uh, as, as, as a boy, my, my dad was a Methodist pastor, um, and now I'm a Methodist pastor raising my own PKs. And um, there's, a, there's a lot of things I love about this, this lifestyle I've been on, binging ever since I was a kid. I love um, all of the, uh, the church families through the years that I've, I've been blessed to be a part of that have surrounded me and made me into the person I am today. I love living in a parsonage and having a church in my front yard. I've always thought that that was kind of cool. 
Um, but there's one thing I've always hated about it, and that's the moving part. Um, uh, uh, military brats will get this, right? That, that just, uh, just ever so often you're just called up and, uh, and you have to move somewhere else. And you trust it is God's will. You trust that, uh, that, that, uh, that it's all part of the plan, but it kind of stinks. Uh, first, logistically, it stinks. It, you know, it stinks having to take everything you've got and put it in boxes and, and, and work out the truck and, and, and all of that. Um, there's also the, all the nerves and the jitters about going somewhere new and having to introduce yourself to new people and all of that. Um, but the worst part about it is just saying goodbye. Just, um, you know, people that, that you've, you've grown to love and you've grown to be close to, uh, having to, 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 to say goodbye to them is always difficult. Now, I'm not planning on leaving anytime soon, just in case you thought I was ramping up to that or something. Um, but uh, but uh, it, it strikes me that this passage this morning is about moving. Uh, it, it takes place over uh, a period of about three or four years, and, uh, and, and, and David moves about three times. And he, uh, he, he picks up everything. He packs everything. He pulls up his tent stakes. He says goodbye to all the friends he's made in the area, and he moves on to somewhere else, somewhere different that God is calling him to. See, when our passage opens, uh, uh, David's little band has begun to grow. They're 400 strong now, and it, it becomes apparent that it's time to move. That, that as his uh, sort of uh, his movement grows, he's attracting more and more attention, and eventually he's going to be a target to King Saul and the Philistines. And so they move, and they go to a place called Masaga. It's a place right here uh, on our slide. It's uh, it's this uh, it's this tall uh, tall mountain um, by the uh, by the Dead Sea, and it's famous for being uh, a, a desert fortress. And in fact, uh, uh, the word Masaga in Hebrew means fortress. Uh, this mountain was called the fortress. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's 1,300 feet above uh, sea level, which isn't the tallest mountain in the world or even in the region, but man, look how steep it is. Imagine how tough it would be for an army to get up there. And what's more is, uh, is, is he got all of these cliffside caves. And so that even if an army did manage to get all the way up to the top of it, there is all of these hiding places. Mountain was the perfect place. Masada was the perfect place for David and his, his band of merry men to hide out. But one thing is cool up there compared to the surrounding area and any kind of a siege situation, they have the definite advantage. They can grow stuff up there. And they can't do that in the surrounding desert. They'll have the high ground. Uh, they can see their enemies coming for miles. They'll be able to prepare for days for an eventual attack. 
What's more is, is, is here on the Dead Sea, they're about as far away as they can get from Philistine territory. Remember, David is famous for killing Philistines now. And they're about as far as the, away as they can get from King Saul and his men. And also they're close to the border with Moab. The Moabites are the Israelites up on again, off again, enemies, but they're natural allies for David. Because I don't know if y'all remember this from, uh, from, from, last, uh, from last year when we talked about Ruth. Ruth is David's uh, great-great-grandmother, and she's a Moabite. And so uh, David has Moabite ancestry. And so this is the perfect place for him to hide his family while he and his men stay in this desert fortress. It's the perfect spot. Here they can, they, they, they can finally relax, let their guard down. They can finally live their lives without looking over their shoulder, uh, wondering uh, what, uh, if, if King Saul or the Philistines were at their back. David can relax and listen for God's voice and discern what he needs to do next. It's the perfect spot, this stronghold, this Masada, this mountaintop refuge. We tend, I think, to think of the church as sort of a Masada, don't we? As sort of a refuge from the world. Right? Six days a week, we're out in the world with all of its complexity coming at us um, uh, like a freight train. Right? All of this change, all of these things that we have to adapt to, uh, you know, the, 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 the national stuff, the, the, the pandemic, the growing tribalism, all of that stuff, but also just the stuff in our lives. Right? The dysfunction at work, uh, the, the, the toxic family environment the new neighbors. Church is a, is a refuge to us sometimes, a place where, where, where we can get away from it all, that maybe we can take that, uh, that, that thousand foot view, draw close to God and close to one another, sing familiar songs that haven't changed since we were a kid. We think of church as sort of a Masada, a mountaintop refuge. Maybe like this chapel up here. This, uh, this chapel is a place in Israel um, uh, on the, the Mount of Ascension. Uh, this is the traditional spot that, that is believed that uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. In fact, right inside of that little chapel right there, there is this slab of stone uh, that is believed to be, according to tra tra tradition, to, to contain Jesus' last footprints on earth, where he stood right before he ascended into heaven. And during the first couple hundred years of the church, uh, 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 people would come and they would sort of visit the slab of stone and, and, and they would pray and then they would go back out into the world. But around 384 A.D., um, uh, they built this chapel around the slab of stone. And then they built walls around the chapel. And in the chapel, they began to put living quarters. 
became a monastery, a sort of spiritual fortress where, where, where people could retreat from the world and, and they, could, uh, they, they could, could live on this holy site and devote their lives to praying and singing God's praises, to being with other like-minded Christians as they grow spiritually together, far away from the rapidly changing world around them. See, like David at Masada, and like these monastics at, at the Mount of Ascension, we too gather to church on Sundays sometimes to get away from the world, to seek spiritual refuge in our fortress. It's a comforting image, isn't it? A place of refuge. But what if it's the wrong one? You know what the irony is about this little chapel here? Is if tradition is right, if this slab of stone with the footprints in it, if that's the last place Jesus stood on earth, what did he say as he stood there? Did he gather his disciples around him and say, here's what I want you to do, boys. I want you to build a chapel right here. And I want you to stay on this mountain. I want you to pray and sing my praises and sing together and take refuge from the world. Is that what he said? No. He stood on that slab of rock and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go in my name and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That slab of rock, if, if tradition is correct, is where Jesus gave the great commission. It's where he told his disciples to go into the world and transform the world in his name to spread out as far as they could go and make disciples. They built around that a mountaintop fortress to live and pray and stay. That's irony. The other irony is that monastery is not there anymore. I mean, you can, you can go visit that site and, and see a slab of rock. Um, uh, I hope to do it someday. But in 1187, Jerusalem was conquered by the Muslims. And that spot was turned into a mosque. Because see, while the Christians up on that mountain spent hundreds of years praying and thinking about Jesus and growing spiritually together and taking refuge, the world kept changing around them. And down in the valley, Islam was winging the battles and winging the converts. Isn't that the perfect metaphor for the church? The increasingly graying 
increasingly, increasingly uh, dwindling population huddled up in a mountaintop fortress while the world changes around them. A world we were commissioned with the task of transforming, of going and making disciples of. See, one day there came a knock at the door. See, David and, uh, and, 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 and his band of merry men had grown from 400 strong to 600 strong. And they were sitting up there, singing pretty, made in the shade with a glass of lemonade uh, in, in their fortress at Masaga. And a knock comes on the door. They open the door and it's a prophet named Gad. And Gad has a simple message for them. Leave the fortress. Go into the forest. So David and his men leave Masaga, this perfect place, this perfect place of refuge, and they go into the forest of Hareth. And everything, the mountaintop fortress is, the forest of Hareth is not. Uh, up on the mountain, they, they could see for miles, and they always know when their enemies were coming. Here in the forest, their enemy could be lurking behind the next tree. They were here in the forest, they were right on the border of the Philistine territory. Here in the forest, uh, they could encounter uh, people who were loyal to King Saul. We might turn them in. Why in the world would they leave this, this mountaintop fortress and go into the forest? Two reasons, really. The first, because God says so. I mean, God tells you to do something, you do it. And, you know, uh, oftentimes God uh, is like, uh, like my mother. You ask her why you're supposed to do something, and she says, because I said so, Right? The way God is sometimes. We don't know why God wants us to do the things God wants us to do. We just accept it on faith. But here in our story, we can see that there's actually a pretty good reason. Because it's there in the forest that they can hear the cries for help. It's there in the forest that they're, they're close enough to the towns uh, that they know what's going on. And see, there's this place called Keilah, and the Philistines have been, have been attacking the grain stores, weakening the people, making them starve, so that eventually they'll be able to come in and take over the town. And because they're in the forest, because they're positioned in the right place, they can hear the cries and they can respond to them. God brought David to the forest because the forest is the place where David could do the most good. What if we're not called to be a fortress on the mountain? What if we're called to be an outpost in the forest? Not a place of refuge, but a people of rescue. Perfectly positioned in our community to respond to its needs, respond to the cries of help that we hear around us. 
See, I think the forest is a perfect metaphor for where, where the church needs to be in the world, right? Because it, it, it's, it's, it's its own space, it's its own place, but it's close enough to the towns that from there we can see what's going on and hear what's going on and respond. See, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that the church is called to be in this world, but not of this world. In other words, we're called to to live where we're at, to to engage with this world, but also to to keep our our, our holiness and our our God-given identity in the midst of it. In this world, but not of this world. That's the forest, our own space in the midst of the world where we can respond to the human need we see around us close enough to the voices. We're to be a people of rescue. Like Robin Hood and his merry men. Right? Did you ever see those movies growing up, Robin Hood? You know, whether yours was uh, as Kevin Costner or Errol Flynn, right? We, we've all seen the, the Robin Hood movies. And, and Robin Hood, um, uh, in his, 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 his merry men, they're always uh, sort of uh, uh, responding to people's needs, aren't they? You know, they're, they're always playing some, some heist, some adventure, some, uh, some, some daring rescue. But then when they're done, they go back to the forest, not to stay, but to hatch their new plan. What are we going to do this week? What, what, what need are we going to respond to? You've been in the town. What have you heard? What's going on? They hatch a plan. They marshal their resources. And then they go back out into the kingdom and make a difference. Show that evil sheriff who's boss. Here in the forest, we can hear the cries of the people. What if we weren't clinging to our building and our traditions, but we were clinging to our mission to make disciples in the world? Not a place of refuge, but a people of rescue. This summer, some of y'all are going to go with me to Nicaragua. See, I've got a plan, a grand plan. Um, we are going to Nicaragua this summer. We're partnering with uh, Dublin United Methodist Church in Dublin, Virginia. Uh, the pastor there is a, a dear friend of mine. And, uh, and, and, and they're, uh, they're taking this trip and they've invited us along. And so I hope to take people from each church in the circuit. And we're going to go there and we're going to participate in the ministries of, a, uh, uh, of, of an orphanage called El Ayudante, the helper. And we're going to, uh, to, 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 to spend a week helping them in their mission. And I'm hoping two things come out of this. The first thing um, is, you know, by digging outside of our fortress uh, and, and seeing what the forest looks like out there uh, in Nicaragua, um, uh, I, I, I'm hoping that we come back excited with the vision and that we decide to plan our own mission for the following summer. 
that the next summer we won't need Dublin, to, that, we'll, have, that, that we'll, we'll be able to gather all the resources and gather all the people um, and, and, and take our own trip the following summer. But more than that, I'm hoping what happens is that we come away from Nicaragua with a better sense of how we're called to do church here. Because I don't know if you've heard this or not, but the church in Latin America is spreading like wildfire, is growing like a weed, while the church in North America is dwindling. And so we're not going there to teach them how to do things. <laughs> we're going there to learn how to do things. Um, in my time at Central United Methodist Church, I, uh, several years in a row, I got to go on a trip um, to El Salvador. I got to see firsthand how, how the United Methodist Church is, is growing in the nation of El Salvador. And they're doing it neighborhood by neighborhood, establishing churches in places where they see need. I remember uh, uh, doing a vacation Bible school, and we were leading vacation Bible school on the front porch of a man's house because the church in this little rural community hadn't even been built yet. And I assumed that the man's house that we were having you know, vacation Bible school on, that they, they were having church in, I assumed that he was a member of the church. But I later found out that he wasn't. He was Catholic. And so on Sunday mornings, he would leave his house and go to Mass, and the Methodist Church would be meeting on his front porch. And so I, I talked to the, the president of the church in El Salvador there, uh, the Methodist Church, and, and a, a wonderful man named Juan de Dios. And I said, said how did you talk him into that? You know, uh, how do you talk this, this Catholic man into ha uh, hosting a church in his front yard? He said, it didn't take any convincing. Because you see, in El Salvador, the Methodist church is known as the church that helps people. And he knew that if we established a Methodist church in his neighborhood, that it would come with medical clinics, food for the hungry, programs to keep kids off the street and out of the gangs, and even though he's Catholic, he wanted all of that for his community. So he jumped at the chance to host a Methodist church in his front yard. What if we were known as the church that helps people? What if people saw such value in our ministries that, that, that even if they didn't want to worship with us, that, that they wanted to be a part of what we were doing? You think we could help but grow? It takes courage. And it takes dispensing of this notion once and for all that this place is, is, is a fortress, a place of refuge to get away from the world instead of a place from which the people of rescue go into the world. But pastor, don't we need refuge? All that stuff you said earlier, is, wasn't that true? 
about, you know, the six days of the week we're in the world and, and, and you know, we, 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 we need refuge, we need to charge up, we need to take that hundred foot, you know, isn't all of that true? Yes. Yes. Each of us needs a place of refuge. But this building ain't. You know, my David was able to pick up like this, even when the people around him were scared, even when the people around him didn't want to leave. You know why he was able to pick up like this? Because he understood where his place of refuge is. If you look through the Psalms, the ones written by David, you see that he talks about refuge all the time. You see that he talks about a fortress all the time, that he talks about a rock all the time. In Psalm 31, he says, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge. A strong fortress, that word is Masada, a strong Masada to save me. Psalm 71, In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Be my rock of refuge in which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my Masada, my rock and my fortress. Psalm 144, praise be to the Lord my rock. He is my loving God and my Masada, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge. See, David was able to pick up and go like that because he understood that he was taking his fortress with him. That the, the fortress, the place of refuge, wasn't a place at all. It was this person, Jesus Christ. It was his God, his rock, his stronghold. And we know that too, don't we? We know that. That's why we sing a mighty fortress is our church. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast and our immortal home. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. See, because the one who stood on that slab of rock 2,000 years ago and said, go into the world and make disciples, he also said, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. When we go into the world, we take our fortress with us. We take our refuge with us. And we ourselves become a Masada for hurting and dying people calling out for help. So, what's the plan? Y'all have been out to town. Who's crying for help? Come on, let's hatch a harebrained scheme together. Let's marshal our resources. That evil sheriff won't know what hit him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.